You're listening to the True Life Church Podcast. Sermons are recorded at our Sunday gatherings from Melbourne, Florida. True Life Church guides people to take the next steps in their relationship with Jesus Christ, to grow, belong, and serve. We hope this audio message encourages you to take your own next steps in faith. If you'd like to know more about our church or attend one of our gatherings, find us online at www.truelifemelbourne.com. Today's message comes from lead pastor Joshua Smith. Morning, church. Morning. It's nice to be with you here today. Uh, Pancakes not included. I hope y'all, like Grace uh, said, uh, had a wonderful time of fellowship last week, and uh, we're going to be diving back into our series in Acts today. Um, Next week, we're going to cover most of chapter 12. I know Brad was excited. Spoiler alert. Um, You know, I'm going to even have to preach next week. Uh, He did a great job. Thank you. I'm thankful for our elders, Brad and David, and and what they do, and and how they help, and... and, uh, you know, encourage one another in, in prayer. So we're going to be covering most of chapter 12 next week, uh, and it all kind of goes together. My my hope in being the best I can in, in you know following and trying to be obedient to the text is not to cover too much too quickly. Um, and I'm I'm learning that this year. You know, teaching expositorily versus topically. You know, topically is more of I say what I want. You know, uh, and kind of put things together. Expositorily, I want to I want to do justice to the text. And in order to do that today, we're actually going to take just three verses as going to be our main focus of the Scripture, where we left off in, in chapter 11, uh, just these first verse, or these last verses, I'm sorry, uh, beginning in verse 27, 28, 29, I guess technically it's four verses, and 30. Uh, and that's where we're going to finish off. So I invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word. That's going to be our main Scripture passage for today. God's Word is holy, and uh, this is just another way that we can uh, regularly um, remind ourselves, be aware, self-aware, that what we are talking about, that what you are holding, if you have a Bible in your hands, and even the digital version, yes, is holy. It's special. Um, So to be thankful for that, uh, you were already standing, so congratulations. Here we go. Acts chapter 11, verses 27 through 30. Now in these days prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined, everyone according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the ability to uh, publicly read it and profess it. God, I pray that you would use it today to, even these few verses, to reveal some things um, in our lives, um, that it would be, uh, that we would be correctable, it would be teachable, that we would be humble, that our minds and hearts and ears would be open to listen and quick to adjust our lives according to what is taught here. Not because of who I am, but because of who you are and what you have done. So God, thank you 
Thank you. In your name we pray. Truly our church says. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. One of my other hopes today is that, you know, in these three or four verses, in case you don't do this on a regular basis, you know, sometimes I think we can get caught up in, oh, it's only a few verses. And we read a passage like this, which, let's be fair, is not long. And, and let's be fair, we might at first glance say, well, there's not, okay, we get it. Some dudes went down from one town to another, and there was going to be a famine, and great, cool. And we and you just move on. I really encourage you in your personal Bible study to not look at things that way. Um, fortunately, we have uh, a useful tool, can also be a detrimental tool, of technology. And at a few keystrokes or finger taps, whoop, you can Google and search virtually anything and, and get millions of queries returned to you in point zero one four eight two nine three 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 seconds. So I encourage you, even a passage like this, have multiple avenues aware or available uh, as you study your own Bible at home, and not to take just a few verses for granted and say, Lord, what can I learn from this? We, we uh, sang a new song this, this morning, the first one. Uh, spoiler, spoiler alert also, we're going to close with it as well. Um, because it's good to praise the Lord together, to rejoice. And that song, if you forgot it already, that's fine. We'll give you the, the get-out-of-jail-free card today. It's new. It's deeper, deeper still. You're calling me deeper still. And even a passage like that, that's my invitation, encouragement, uh, to you at home, as you read at home, not if you read at home. I'm being careful about my word choice there. As you read at home, deeper, deeper still. And uh, pray that... God would reveal things to you uh, in a mighty way. I had a moment, even just this past week, um, that I'll, you know, it could have been a message, but we're, we're not in Matthew, so I'll give you one for free today. Um, you know, where Jesus had the loaves and the fish, and he multiplied the loaves and the fish. Many of you have probably heard of the feeding of the 5,000, the little boy's loaf and fish, and he multiplies it, right? But let's, let's keep this in mind. What Jesus multiplied was already cooked fish. Again, we, a few weeks ago we talked about the rules of kashrut or kosher and that it wasn't just, he didn't multiply dough, he multiplied already final product bread and already final product fish. And just thinking about that you're like, wow, it blows, blows your mind. Like It wasn't a sushi bar. So it was just those tiny little details that God can reveal to us as we think about his majesty, his glory, his holiness, his, his awesomeness, his, his power. Um, my, that's my hope for us today, again, even in these few verses. Uh, last week, again, we had pancakes and a great time of fellowship, and we had a lesson where we kind of returned a little bit to Acts chapter 2 and talked about the church and how they were faithful and obedient, and God multiplied, uh, essentially according to their obedience, day by day, added to the number of those who were being saved. So we're going to now shift back into here, into, again, where we've read Acts chapter 11, going into verse or chapter 12 next week. And as we hop back into this timeline, into this story, remember Stephen had been martyred as Saul looked on, all right? And, and Saul was persecuting the early church. Many of you probably know this, and we've read this if you've been with us, um, and oversaw the, the, the killing of Stephen. And again, that was in 31, about 31 AD, all right? And then Saul was, had his conversion on the road to Damascus, and that was around A.D. 34. So about three years after Stephen's death, Saul persecuted the church, and then on the road to Damascus, he encountered Christ. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he was saved from that moment and turned his heart to the Lord. 
and it's his obedience. So that was three years Saul was persecuting the church, right? Barnabas, as we've read two weeks ago now in the, in the passage before this, still in chapter 11, Barnabas was sent to Antioch in 42 AD, all right? So this is eight years after Saul's conversion experience. And then, a few verses before this, we read last, uh, or again two weeks ago, that even for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul taught together at the church in Antioch, all right? When he, when he goes and brings Saul back from Tarsus. Just keep in mind, you know, for, yes, it's, I'm boring, I get it. But for right now, for the timeline, we need to understand, like, we read this, we read this, you know, oh, it was just next. Next could have been three years. Uh, next could have been five years, eight years. And if we have a better understanding of, of what's going on, I think it means more for us in the text. Sometimes you're like, oh, Saul, you know, with immediate life-changing experience. This is a progression for Saul to come around uh, after persecuting the church diligently for three years and had this encounter with Christ to get on the road to Damascus and now has spent the better part of a decade away from Jerusalem and actually not even too involved with the church until Barnabas goes and drags him, finds him in Tarsus, and then brings him to Antioch, and then they teach together again for a year. Antioch was a large metropolis at the time, huge city, known for both, again, its commerce and its immorality. Uh, Herod the Great, and we're going to read about him in, in the next chapter, but Herod the Great had even paved the streets with marble. How's that for a city upgrade? You know, this is a fancy, wealthy town. You know, just think of our roads out there with all the potholes, and like, they, those streets are paved with marble. That's, that's, that's nice. Like countertops everywhere. Saul and Barnabas stayed there again for a whole year teaching. And one thing even we can remind ourselves from, you know, ministry takes time. A lot of times we want immediate results because everything in our life has become so convenient. With drive throughs and Amazon orders, the new facility they're building here in town, you can, you can like, you're going to be able to order stuff on Amazon, you know, before you've hit send or purchase, they're going to just show up at your door like a drone or something like this. It's going to be crazy. We're so used to immediacy that our culture is quickly unlearning patience and time. And the progression of life as God has called us into it. So I just encourage you to, to be diligent in your daily walk with the Lord. Ministry takes time. For many people, life change takes time. You know, as Paul writes later in 1 Corinthians, as such were some of you. You know, we, we've talked about that before, like, but that was before. And, and sometimes, over a great amount of time, you look back and you're like, yo, yeah, I'm, I'm not that person. I'm more gentle. Am I gentle enough? No, but I'm more gentle. How long did that take? For me, at least it's 14 years and counting in marriage. And have I arrived? My wife will gladly tell you no. But, hopefully she will also then gladly tell you, but I'm, but I'm not who I was either. I'm less dumb. Again, this is the first place here in the church in Antioch. Despite the depravity, despite the sinfulness and the situation, the circumstances and the surroundings, the church was kind of blowing up. It was going huge in Antioch. This is the first place that they were called Christians. So we left off two weeks ago. Again, is, would someone, are we proud of the name Christian? 
You know, I talked with one of our elders, David. We were on the phone for like 30 or 40 minutes the other day, and we are just talking about stuff. And, you know, even that term, oh, I'm a, we, we kind of had to boil it down even today to like, I'm a Christ follower. Why? Because now Christian is just too generic. That's a problem when Christians aren't identifiable as such. Are you Christian? Yeah. We have to ask like a follow-up question. It's like if you're in the South, you go to a restaurant. I'm talking true South, not Florida. Florida's new New York, all right? I'm talking South. You go to Georgia, you go to Tennessee, you go to Alabama, and you go to a sit-down a restaurant. They're like, what do you have to drink? I have a Coke. What kind? Dr. Pepper. Okay. Because Coke is so generic, especially around Atlanta, it's just used to just mint soda. So I'll have a Coke. Yeah, okay. Which one? Sprite. Okay. Right up, hon. Be right there, back sugar, and you get a Sprite. Because you asked for a Coke. It's so generic that you have to be more specific. And that's kind of where we're at with Christianity. We need to be proud to be Christians and live up to the name. Would someone call you a Christian? Is there enough evidence in your life where the title fits the person? So we read about this guy named Agabus. And how fun of a name is that? Agabus. It's just, it's just fun, Agabus. And we're going to see him again in Acts chapter 21, in a couple of verses. So this is the only time we're going to bump into Agabus. Um, but in those days, now in those days, verse 27, the prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. Now in those days, keep in mind, Luke wrote this, and most likely Acts was written around A.D. 64 or later. Keep in mind then, this is happening. What he's talking about is happening around A.D. 42. So it's 20 years plus after. And so Luke is recalling now in those days. You know, it's like if, we, if I asked you, when did the pandemic start? This is just a couple years ago. What would your answer be? We might say 2020, but someone in China might say 2019, right? We might say March, but someone in Italy might say January. So it's, it's different based on the context. So as we even look back a few years ago, in those days, it's this just, just kind of a generic time as we recall, well, this happened about then, about that time. And the prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. Fun fact, Jerusalem is south of Antioch, we're talking about Syria and Antioch, which is wedged up in the little armpit, if you will, of the Mediterranean Sea, there in the northeast corner, uh, in modern-day Turkey. And uh, Antioch is north of Jerusalem. And I don't know if you've ever been around a person uh, who, who says, you know, we're going to go somewhere. Where are you gonna, oh, we're going to go down to Cape Canaveral. Does that make anybody else, like, does that ruffle anybody else's feathers in here besides me? Okay, I'm, I'm just having a confessional right now. If someone says, oh, we're going to go down to Jacksonville. You don't go down to Jacksonville. You go up. You go up to Jacksonville. Why? Because Jacksonville's north. And it's just, you know, it really grinds my gears type of thing, right? So why are they going down to go north? Well, because for them, it's elevation. They're literally going down. The elevation of Jerusalem is around 2,500 feet above sea level. The elevation of Antioch is around 200 feet above sea level near the coast. So for them, the perspective is totally different. It's not north-south. It's literally up-down. And I don't know if you like me, but I've lived in Florida for all but two years of my life. And so all I know is flat. It's just, it's just this. 
And so I have to think down, up, being north and south because it's this. But for them, down, up is this. And so they went down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And here, one of them named Agabus stood up and he foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. And this famine is documented historically. This actually happened. It's another way that we can say with certainty that the Bible is true. And obviously there's a debate about that in today's culture, but this is another feather in our cap. The Bible's true. This is documented by historians, by uh, Josephus and Orosius, and even written down in the first uh, history of the Roman Empire by uh, a, a king in England, the Anglo-Saxon chronicle, King Alfred. Right? So this famine, though not necessarily localized to a certain area, encompassed parts of Egypt, Judea, all around Palestine and Israel, Greece, and Rome over the span of at least two years, maybe even four. All right? And so this famine is, is documented, and it would have been very limited harvests for a number of years. Some food has still been available, but at inflated prices, right? price gouging. It's not a new thing. All right? And this is why the relief was sent there to that area of, around Judea by the church in Antioch. All right, so those are a couple of fun facts and history things. Why are Agabus and others, these other prophets, even there? In Antioch, because the church again is multiplying like crazy. So it's like send reinforcements. Yes, we're we're growing, and in many ways, Antioch is the physical birthplace of Christianity and the church, growing despite its surroundings, being a bright light in a dark and sinful city. Now, I wouldn't necessarily call Melbourne dark. Nor would I call it light. The census, with room for speculation, the 2020 census, gives us some idea that there are between three and 400,000 people in our surrounding area here, of which, according to this same census, only 35% are r- religious. That's any religion. Now we talk about what we were talking about with Christianity. So we can think of that you might walk outside these doors and there might be a nice person in the Walmart checkout line next to you as you work doing their job. Sorry. Boop, boop. I work here. Yeah, I scan. All right, self-checkout. Anyway, that's another story. There might be someone really nice next to you we start. We got to start thinking. Are are they saved? It's not about whether they're nice. Jesus makes that pretty clear in the Gospels. Because our standards of good aren't God's standards of good. What we might call bad. It's not God's standards of bad. Totally different. The church in Antioch was growing despite its surroundings being a bright light in a dark and sinful city. And we need to start having that mindset. When we leave these doors, you are, and I see this sign at other churches, and it's cute, 
We don't have the ability to put up, up in our parking lot, but you are now entering the mission field. Anyone ever seen that in another church before? Yeah? It's adorable, but it's true. You're now entering the mission field. Church is actually not the... We like to invite people to church. Don't get me wrong, that's great. And if this is your first time here, I'm so glad you're here. The reality is that most people don't get saved in church. Most people get saved out there. Isaiah chapter 49, verses 5 and 6. You don't have to turn here, but if you want to make a a reference. Isaiah chapter 49, verses 5 and 6. The prophet writes, again another prophet we're talking about, Agabus, and this is now Isaiah. And now the Lord says, He who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, the people of Israel, that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. He says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. First thing we're going to take away from today's few verses. We have four verses and four points. Number one, that we are still intended to be a light for the nations. That God's salvation may reach to the end of the earth. So again, in a similar question to last week about the title Christian, are we living up to the name? Are we also doing what we're supposed to be doing? Living a life filled with light, courtesy of the Lord Jesus Christ, so bright that it overflows out of us. I was up early this morning. I don't know if anyone else was up at around 5.15 or 5.30, but I was. Anyone? Yes, no? A couple people. Did you walk outside and look west? You could see Jupiter with the naked eye. It was gorgeous. I mean, it was just... Yeah, I almost wanted to be late to pull out my children's telescope that I have for the boys and, and just look at it. It was, it was awesome. In a sea of darkness, a planet thousands of hundreds of thousand miles away from us is just, whoa, it's cool to me. So I'm driving to church. I got a picture on my phone before the sun's coming up. And if you saw the sunrise today, Maybe you feel as blessed as I do to have a creator like we do. As it painted the sky, coming up in this light and blue and orange waving through the clouds. It's got an amazing picture. I'll post it on my, on my Facebook later so you can not look at it. <laughs> but the light as it, as it comes around our planet spinning so fast and just suddenly you walk outside today and now it's full of brightness. Are we... That bright of a light in a dark, dark world. And I don't want you to think too big, too massive. Because there is darkness close to home. There may be a darkness in your home within family members. I may be a darkness in a, in a group or a, a clique of co-workers, or friends. I invite you to be a light. We are still intended to be a light to the nations, that God's salvation 
may reach to the end of the earth. And we need to have in our minds the the importance of what we're talking about. We were able to celebrate the life of Fran Wolf, who passed away on September 14th. We had a memorial service here for her yesterday. Some of you were there for that, and the family's here today. Fantastic woman in our church. No longer physically present. But, she was a light. So many people in the family stood up and shared those memories and how, how important her faith was to her and how bright a light she was to everyone who was around her. I invite you again, I encourage you to be a light for the nations. But you cannot manufacture your own illumination. It has to come from the Lord. Anything else is false, is fake. It's not genuine. And Agabus was this light, and he's over there in Antioch. He's a faithful man of the Lord. He's in the Spirit. We know that from these few verses about him, and he foretells the famine. Now remember the timeline. This puts his prophecy at minimum one to three years before the historical famine is actually documented. This makes complete sense. He, he foretells the famine. It has not yet Happened. That's what a prophecy is. And again, it's another validation that we can know. Not only was Agabus in this spirit, and this word is true, because then it, it came to pass. We think of like maybe the birth of Christ story, and it came to pass in those days. It came to pass. The foretelling happened. The prophecy. And Agabus foretells this prophecy not by his own might, because he was reading the signs or the stars. but by the Spirit. It's not his own power or his own illusions of foresight. What Agabus foretells is God-given. And he tells what the Spirit had revealed to him. No more, no less. No plan of action or no disbursement initiative. And sometimes we can get caught up. We might think we, we see a problem. God might have revealed something to us. And then we also think we have to solve said problem. We get a step ahead of God. Some of us might need to be reminded today that, no, let's, let's not get ahead of God. Galatians chapter 5 tells us to stay in step with the Spirit. Sometimes we can rush to get ahead of God and think, I think I see a problem, and I will also come up with solution. So Agabus just simply says, I have, the word, I have a word from the Lord. This is going to happen. Oh, and by the way, here's an 18-page spreadsheet that I have made with a timeline of what needs to happen in a plan of action. no. Nope, this is what the Lord says. And then he, he taps out. He was faithful to the message he had received. And point number two today is just to trust God. Don't try to do more than you've been called to do. What does that require? That requires an intimate knowledge of what you've been called to do. So that you have the guidelines and the boundaries of when to stop. It requires a faithful prayer life. To understand the word and to be listening to the voice so that you will know, courtesy of the Spirit, and you and, and I, all believers, to say, hey, this is outside your jurisdiction. And the Spirit 
will convict us of that. It's one of the things the Spirit does. To hold us in check. So Agabus was a man of the Spirit, and he's held in check, and he says, this is, what, this is what's going to happen. And then he, like I said, then he just taps out. If you are like me, we have had moments in our lives of getting ahead of the Lord. Trying to not only identify the problem, but then to self-provide the solution or the action plan. That might be you today. You might be able to recall something in your life that says simply, slow down. I've been, I may have shared this. It's not in my notes, so I can't quite recall over the last couple of weeks. But I've had a few conversations. Uh, one even uh, with the elders recently, so that's maybe where I'm thinking of it. But just some things that uh, I feel God has been teaching me. And, you know, you've probably heard the story of the tortoise and the hare, right? Have I shared this? Not shared this? Okay. You're going to hear it again. Make no apologies. And the hair is quick. It's got the ears. All right? God has made the hair in that way, and so it's very emotional. It's very reactive. Oh, afraid! And then, you know, it just, you, you know, we got rabbits in our yard, and, and we'll walk out, and rabbit will be super still until my dogs, five minutes later, You'd think they had like a nose and super senses. They don't. we got dumb dogs. And so they, they walk up there, and the rabbit might be like eight feet away, but it's so still and just blend in. And it's, it's just right there. They don't notice it until like... <laughs> and then they finally go after it. And then rabbit's gone. Flight or fight or flight, and there's no fight much in a rabbit. Watch out for the fangs, teeth. Anyway, don't worry about it. So there's not much fight in a rabbit, so it's mostly flight. And so it's emotional and reactive and just go, 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 go. And rabbits are quick and built that way. And that's what happens in the story of the tortoise and the hare. Quick, go over here, do this. Quick, go over there, do that. And even in my time here at True Life Church, I've looked back over the last eight years now I've been here. Woohoo! Whoa. Simultaneously. And I look back and like a lot of it was, you know, especially early on, is it was more hair. Ooh, do this. Ooh, fix that. Ooh, go over there. Which one wins the race, y'all? A tortoise, right? A turtle's in the water. He has flippers. We need to get our animals correct, right? It's a turtle. A tortoise has the, the footses, the feet. A tortoise wins the race because he's slow and steady. What else is the tortoise? Well, first of all, he's got a shell. So when danger comes along, he does not run. He stays put. Where does our strength come from? I withdraw into the shelter of the Lord. A safe hiding space. Sheltered under his wings, under his protection. I don't have to run or fight. He does. He is my shelled and my protector. All right, thank you. Thank you. Be here all day. And then when it's time to move again, we move. Are we brisk? No. We are paced. So if the rabbit is quick and emotional, the Lord has been gradually teaching me to be slow and gentle. And that's the one that wins the race. And again, reflecting, you might echo some of that in my life and looking back and like, we've, I, got a, I got a head of the Lord. And I need to learn to be patient, to be slow, and to be gentle, to be the tortoise instead of the hare. Who, who knew that was a spiritual analogy, huh? Who knew? But it is. 
And that might be one of the things that, again, you just, maybe that was what you needed to hear today. Good news is we're not done. There might be more. To be slow and to be gentle, to wait on the Lord's timing. Not get ahead or try to do more than we've been called to do. Well, then what happened? So the disciples determined. Agabus? Nope. He wasn't one of those. He said, here's the, here's the problem. There's going to be a famine. And again, he, he taps out. And then he, he trusts the, the leaders at the time, the disciples. And the disciples determined that everyone, according to their ability, to send relief. And the relief would have been monetary. All right? Uh, they might have sent some seeds or some grain, but most of the relief would have been monetary. Uh, they couldn't have sent food back in the day. Why? Because number one, they didn't know when exactly the famine was going to be. Again, this is a prophecy. They couldn't send grapes. The famine's not going to be next week. Or if they do send grapes, the grapes are bad next week. That doesn't help anybody. I don't, I don't know if you realize it, but most of the food we eat today is so stuffed and filled with preservatives and things that you wouldn't really want to eat if you knew what was in it. Most of your refrigerated food is kept in large warehouses at cool temperatures for months. Yeah. The average age of the eggs you purchase in the grocery store, they're at least three months old before you purchase them. And many other countries, they don't refrigerate eggs. Oh, the more we learn. Anyway, you start thinking about that, you're like, ugh, ugh, ugh. So they couldn't send a lot of food. It's going to go bad. So they sent money and they sent relief. But what do we see here? So the disciples determined that the rich people, according to their generosity, were going to send relief. Yes, no? Oh, are you following along? We're in verse 29 still. All right, so the disciples determined that the rich people, according to their ability. Is that what we read? No. So the disciples determined um, that they would take a, an average of yearly income, and then that was going to be the mass requirement sent to everybody. Is that what we read? No. So that everyone, according to his ability to send relief, is anyone left out? No. Are all involved? Yes. To the same amount? No. According to their ability. Everyone was involved. Now, I don't know if you know this, but here at True Life Church, I don't know who gives what. I've been in churches before where I've served under or known pastors who saw the giving report with names and everything like that, so that if there was a financial need, they would summon a dinner and take these the richest people in their church out and take them to dinner and treat them, and then, oh, by the way, we need you know like $20,000 for a new sound system. Checks, please. A lot of times they'll get it. That's manipulation as far as I'm concerned. I don't know who gives what. I don't want to look out on a Sunday morning and see a dollar sign over anyone's head. I don't care if you're rich. I don't care if you're poor. I care if you're obedient. And giving according to the ability that God has given you to give. It's not ours. We are stewards of it, right? Stewards of our time, of our finances, of our resources, of our talents, of our abilities, the band that serves in here, and the, the teachers down the hall, and all the countless ways there are to, to serve around here and outside of these walls. Everyone was involved. 
So you might take this as money. Josh is talking about money. I'm not talking about money. The Spirit might be convicting you about money, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm encouraging you to be obedient. And in order for our church to be what I believe our church has been called to be, in order for our church to grow and have an impact like this church in Antioch had, who must be involved? I'm sorry. I'm still sorry. Some of y'all aren't even saying everyone, and I'm asking everyone a question. Who is going to be involved? Everyone. Thank you. All right, now we're talking. I've got momentum now. Everyone said everyone. Everyone has a role to play, has a gift to give, and obedience to follow through with to participate. Christianity is not passive, it's participatory, it's not a spectator sport. We're encouraged, I want to encourage you to be in the Word, be faithful in prayer, be joyful in worship, be gentle in spirit, and be involved. Everyone has a role to play. And if you think, well, there's nothing here I can do, that's a lie from the enemy. There's nothing I'm good at, that's a lie from the enemy. There's nothing here I can do, that also is a lie from the enemy. Just ask our children's teachers. There is something you can do, but I don't like teaching kids. That wasn't my question. There is something you can do. What greater privilege, to be honest, even more than where I'm at, to be teaching the next generation of faith. I'm stuck with you old people. Right? I'm right there with you. I'm going to cross over the 40 bridge next year. Right? Right? My AARP card is already in the mail. Christianity is not passive, it's participatory. It's not a spectator sport. Another problem in our culture today is we just like spectating things. This isn't a new problem. Ancient Romans, even during this time, loved spectating tigers eating people and blood and gore. And the Colosseum in Rome was famous. They would like put in water and have sea battles with ships in the Colosseum. It was amazing. Everyone likes being a spectator because there's very little obligation. But that is not the life that you and I have been called to. If we are truly going to be Christians, we are going to be involved. Not watching on the sidelines, but playing the game. Now imagine, if you will, football, American football, not the weird stuff, you know. Hey, mate, we're going to play some football. No, not that. You also invented golf. You know, what a horrible sport that is. We're going to hit this little ball with a stick. Where? Like 400 yards that way. I can't see it. I know there's trees in the way. Watch out for the sand pits, right? No, just, it's dumb. It's just dumb. American football, we play with our hands. Why? America. All right, so American football, there's only 11. There's only 11 on each side of the team, right? And every once in a while, a team can't get a player off, you know, the sidelines, and they're flagged for having 12 players on the field, Right? How much of an advantage would that be, even in 11 versus 11 sport, to have 12 on one team? Oh, that would be fantastic. Gators could have used 12 on the team yesterday. 13. Would have been better with 10. Would have been with 10. Yeah, they, they at least had an excuse. But I want us to think about our faith in that aspect. Now imagine 
that we are, I don't know, let's pick a team, University of Georgia Bulldogs, just off the top of my head, all right? <laughs> let's, let's pretend for a second that we are the greatest team right now, the, the University of Georgia Bulldogs, and we're playing a better Kent State team than anyone else thought they were, and we're playing Kent State. Now imagine that instead of us watching the game in the stadium, Sanford Stadium, between the hedges, a glorious place to visit, if you and I were then invited to put on a jersey and a number and then come out onto the field. You, you all tracking with this with me in your mind? And suddenly Kent State is there stuck with 11 players versus 60,000. <laughs> like we would be so tight packed in there, there wouldn't even be, they couldn't run. This is what I'm talking about. This is what happens in spiritual unity when you and I are fighting the good fight, when you and I are involved in our faith. There is no way the enemy can win. I don't know if you pay attention to the goofy little 30-second video that plays every Sunday, but there's a scripture passage in there that says, the gates of hell won't prevail against the church. I don't know if you read the end, but the enemy still loses. So my call for you today is to be involved in the game. You know the outcome. It's a guaranteed win. So let's play. This is the first reference to the elders here, but let's close out. So they sent the relief back with Barnabas, and who else? Saul. When was the last time Saul was in Jerusalem? Well, it was about eight years before this. He was pretty much a religious fugitive. He had his conversion experience on the road to Damascus, started preaching gospel so boldly that even in Damascus and in the Jerusalem, people wanted his head. So the disciples in the early church in Jerusalem said, let's get you out of Dodge for a while. Go back home. He went to Tarsus. And then again, eight years later, that's why Barnabas picks him up and, and finds him. And so Saul now is coming back into Jerusalem, eight years since he left. No longer a religious fugitive, but now a leader in the church he sought out initially to persecute what a great redemption story, right? Can you imagine if you were Paul? We'll call him Paul for the sake of right now. Can you imagine if you're Paul coming back into Jerusalem with that change? I hope you can because I can. Because as we talked about earlier, this same Paul would go on to write, as such were some of you. This man knew what it was to be someone B.C. before Christ and then B.C., because of Christ. So he's coming back into Jerusalem. The bearer of the gift that would save the people during their time of famine, which again had not yet happened. Our final point today is since, first, since sin first entered the world, God's plan has always been for restoration. God's plan has always been for redemption, for restoration, for regeneration, to, to make a way. R.C. Sproul was asked in a, in a video interview, the, the preacher-teacher, R.C. Sproul, said, you know, how, how horrible was it? How unjust the punishment when Adam and Eve sinned and what they had to go through. And R.C. Sproul corrected them in saying, what are you talking about? How generous 
How kind. Because what they chose could have been instant death, but he allowed them to live. Another day, and another day, and another day, and then he even clothed them. And animal hides and clothing, and allowed them to exist. Their punishment should have been immediate death. But in God's merciful kindness, and his justice, allowed them to live. And since sin first entered the world, God's plan for you, and for I, and for all mankind has been restoration to be in right relationship with Him. But it's not always on your terms or your timing. But I want to be right now. Okay. Live today for the Lord. And tomorrow for the Lord and the day after for the Lord, and the day after for the Lord, and the day after. And one day you too, you're going to look back. Wow, and such was some of I. God's plan has always been restoration. That's His plan still for you and for I, for me. It hasn't changed. I want to close with Philippians chapter 4. This is a passage we read. Yesterday at the memorial service, but I want to close with these words because I believe they were right and appropriate way to close out today. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. So again, we're going to sing the same song we started with. Why? We're going to sing it rejoicing. Again. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. Don't be the hare, instead the tortoise. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Don't get ahead of Him. Trust the Lord. Let Him provide the solution. And again, even thinking on you know, uh, Abraham's about to be sacrificed of his own son Isaac. He was just obedient. The Lord provided the sacrifice. The ram in the thicket said, go Go kill that. Abraham's job was just to be obedient. And he followed that to the letter. Do not be anxious about anything but in supplication by prayer. With everything, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What a shell. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. The light and the dark world. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, what is our call again? Practice these things. Not a spectator sport. But be involved. Who? Who's going to be involved? All right. Thanks, Rick. Everyone, be involved. Practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. That even in a few verses, we might be reminded of your goodness. 
of your grace, of your patience with us, of your timing, of your goodness, of your plan for restoration and right relationship with you. And I pray that as a song we're going to sing, that we are again invited to go deeper, deeper still into your word and to the knowledge of you and to the truth and to these right and excellent and pure and praiseworthy things that we've invited, been invited to think about. And that we, if there needs to be a change in any one of our lives from this moment, whether that's more Bible reading, more prayer, more obedient giving, more time towards you, more focus, whatever that is to be called more into. God, I pray that you reveal that to us in our hearts by the presence of the Holy Spirit and that we would be obedient and called to action. Not necessarily providing our own solution, but to trust you in that. That we'd simply be obedient and say, God, you've called me into more. You've called me into deeper still, and I will go. I will be involved. I don't want to be a spectator. I will do more. I will give more. I will serve more. I will share the gospel more. Because there is a darkness in our world. And you have intended us. And the message that has been placed within us, these earthen jars, to be a light to that world that your salvation might be made known to all generations and all nations. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for True Life Church and the people that you are calling and adding to our number day by day. And I'm thankful. Lord, let us all be obedient to what you've called us to. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. This weekly podcast is a ministry of True Life Church. If you'd like to help keep these audio sermons available, you can support our ministry online at www.truelifemelbourne.com forward slash give. Until next time, may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.